Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com. Are you tired of having your words fall on your partner's deaf ears? Check out the free guide, The Three-Point Formula to Finally Getting Him to Listen to You. Master these three steps and be heard about almost every topic. Head to the show notes right now. Yes, hit pause for the link to download this free guide because don't you want to be heard? How attachment styles affect communication. In this episode, we're talking about attachment styles and the impact of our six core attachment needs on the way we communicate when they are threatened. I don't know about you, but sometimes, especially in my early relationship, or when I have something vulnerable to say, it feels like I'm standing on the edge of a cliff. And I look down and that steep edge beneath me, it's like, I just don't know if my partner's going to catch me. And my experience has been people haven't caught me. And so vulnerability can feel so scary and so hard. And there's been times I have jumped with my partner and gosh, he hasn't been there. And I'm lucky to say I've got a very wonderful partner who has worked hard to figure out how to catch me because his style of catching is different than mine. But I know, I know how hard that is. And I know in my first marriage, I would stand on the edge of that cliff and I wouldn't even jump because I knew he would not be there. Now, the core attachment needs can feel different for other people. For some people, when our core attachment needs aren't being met, it feels trapped. It feels like smothering. It feels like they're stuck in a prison, a prison made of golden bars and golden shackles because they love that person the most and it still feels constricting. So we're going to look at attachment and see how it shows up so differently for different people, go through the attachment styles and and how we communicate when our attachment needs aren't met and when we're feeling our attachment systems be threatened. Last year on a warm, sunny day, I was talking with one of my master couples and by master couples, I mean, they're like a great awesome couple. They do most of the things I teach in couples therapy fairly intuitively. They just do it. And they're the kind of couple that just believes in growth and being connected. And they just come to see me because it's just a way to continue to foster their connection and grow as like this super awesome, awesome couple. Now, just because they're masters doesn't mean they don't also have moments of heartbreak. And I'm going to tell you just about one of them to help you understand attachment and what happens when your attachment system is threatened. So I'm going to tell you about a small thing he did, which, well, it was a compilation of things. It was like death by a thousand paper cuts, basically, but it made her heart shatter and how he also picked up the pieces and helped her put her heart back together. So Jenny, she is a calm, chill, happy, easygoing woman who has also been incredibly successful in her business. When she met Carlos, they easily, effortlessly just fell right in love. 
from the time they met, they knew they were going to be together. They knew they were going to be married. It was one of those things like when you know, you know. Not everyone has that experience, but they certainly did. Most of the time, he is very responsive to her emotionally, and she gives him lots of freedom for work and friends, and, and, and she gets the same. They naturally just balanced each other out. Then, mid-pandemic, they were both working from home. They were together 24-7, six years into their relationship, and their attachment systems had never really been activated. Until now. Carlo got let, Carlos got let go from his job earlier in the pandemic, and he had just got a new one. He had already been stressed because this was the first time in his entire life that he had been jobless. His ego was a little hit. He was feeling a little less confident, and it was really hard for him to rely on Jenny for all of their expenses, but they made it work. However, he really identified with being a provider, being able to financially support her and take care of them as a family, although she had a great job and at times in their lives has even exceeded his income, that role of being a provider, call it cultural, call it familial, call it whatever you want, he really felt like he needed to provide. So when he got this new job, he felt more pressure than ever to succeed, to provide for her, to do an awesome job. And he felt vulnerable to losing his job again in the pandemic because he was working for a startup. Each day, Carlo started spending long hours in front of his computer screen. He would stay there until the early morning when he finally went to sleep with a blue light headache behind his eyes. The learning curve at work was pretty steep, and he quickly wondered if he was making a mistake taking the job. In the past six years, he had never felt a stress like this, and he had always felt like he could effortlessly talk to Jenny about things. But this was different. The pounding in his chest and the tightness he felt all over his body reminded him of being back in school, feeling constantly behind, being told he was stupid, and having the kids laugh at him when he got the answers wrong. He was suddenly snapped back into the feelings of childhood and retreated back into himself. As a young boy, he had dyslexia, and he often got things wrong and in the wrong order, and as he moved through the rest of his life, he was able to adapt and use skills and different strategies so that that wasn't a problem. But the level of overwhelm took him back. And he didn't even know. He did not consciously know it took him back. They used therapy as a tool to help them understand what was going on. And we came to learn that those feelings were exactly the same. Jenny, having met Carlos at a later stage in his life, was totally unaware of his experiences as a child and was totally baffled by his behavior. She had never seen him shut her out like this. She fluctuated between wondering if she had done something wrong and pleading with him to talk to her. And then she would flip and she'd get incredibly angry and snarky and would be frustrated with him for being so closed off. And she would say things like, what's wrong with you again today? Oh, why are you so grouchy? Unfortunately, whether she was pleading to get him to talk or snapping at him, neither effort worked and he just retreated further and further away, retreated into himself. So let's talk about what is happening between Jenny and Carlos. So we're going to go over the six attachment needs we have. So attachment needs are what we have that allow us to feel safe with another person in relationship, to feel like we are connected, supported. It is okay to be ourselves around them. Here's what these are. To feel valued and respected, to feel special, to feel safe that like your partner cares about your emotions, even if you don't understand them. To understand that vulnerability is a challenge, to know you're wanted, and to know that your partner will be there if you need them. 
Jenny's attachment needs that were threatened as Carla was going through this is the biggest ones were to know that she was wanted. Because what happened is they had gone from spending so much time together, going on daily walks while they were in lockdown, going to bed at the same time, working out at the same time in the mornings. And all of a sudden, all he did was work. She felt totally unwanted on her own. And it seemingly happened overnight. That was brand new to their relationship. And she was really struggling to cope with it. For the first week or so, she was able to give him the benefit of the doubt. But as the days and weeks were on, she became lonelier and lonelier and lonelier and wondered if she mattered at all. Carlos, what he needed was to know he felt safe, his emotions were cared about, even if basically neither of them understood them. He needed her to understand that vulnerability was hard for him. Because he was so overwhelmed, he didn't really even understand what was going on for him. And when she would plead between wondering if it was something wrong with her or when she would criticize he was grouchy, he felt like he wasn't safe to have all of his emotions that he didn't even know how to express. He suddenly had a new feeling himself that she didn't understand how hard the vulnerability was because their relationship had been basically so safe until this point. Over time, as this pattern went on, they both felt less valued and less respected, less special, and they both ended up with that sense that their partner wasn't going to be there when they needed them. And it all happened within a quick few months. So these are some of the core needs we need met. We need them met when we're children from our primary caregivers, usually our parents. However, they can also be activated by important others like nannies or teachers or our peer groups. And as we move through life, eventually there's a transition that happens away from our parents or our caregivers in late adolescence it might even be to our peers and then as we go through our dating lives especially later in life those attachment figures turn into the partner we choose now you may have heard about these already I've certainly talked about them on the podcast and if you scroll on Instagram and hashtag attachment maybe you've read the book attached you know a little bit about attachment styles so we all have different styles in the ways that we attach to each other and this was one of the things because Jenny and Carlos had never actually encountered different attachments till this point in their relationship. They didn't realize that they actually had some differences. So this is a couple I would typically characterize as having secure attachments. So overall, these are people who have low anxiety in the relationship. So they're not anxious about the other person staying or going. They feel comfortable and close with intimacy. Both of them do. So that means they're low in avoidance. They don't really obsess about their partners, where they're going, what they're doing, what they're up to. They feel safe and secure to be in the relationship. They can also be apart from their partner and support their partner to go and achieve their dreams. However, given the right set of circumstances, this whole job thing, they started to uncover that they have some different flavors to that secure attachment. Both still secure, but have some different dimensions. So when we think about dimensions of attachment, We have anxiety and avoidance. People who have an anxious attachment are typically low in avoidance. They don't want to avoid. They seek close connection, but they are high in anxiety. And when their attachment needs aren't met, it makes them anxious and overwhelmed. 
So people who have an anxious attachment system, this usually means they really, really, really want to be very, very close. And at the same time, they can be very overwhelmed by lots of fears about abandonment or their emotional needs not being met or their partner choosing them for somebody else or their partner not being emotionally or physically available to them. Now, Jenny, although she is secure, when her core attachment needs weren't met, she didn't know she was wanted, she didn't know that he was going to be there, she, although typically not anxious, some of the more anxiousy flavors of her secure attachment came to light. There, Because of the circumstance, she started to have some anxiety about what she meant to him, and she really, really, really wanted to get closer. She began to have a whole bunch of fears related to him being apart, not being there, that weren't present before. So we see these become a little bit activated when her needs were not met. On the other hand, people who have more of an avoidant attachment system, these are people who don't have a lot of anxiety or fears related to their needs not being met, but they're higher in avoidance. So they just keep to themselves. They stay away from things that are very close and intimate. When they are very close and intimate, it feels a bit odd. They don't really like that. They prefer to have a lot of freedom, a lot of autonomy, and at times they just want to be separate, to be a way to detach from their partner in a way that even can be difficult to explain. Now, Carlos felt more in his heightened distress and his desire to provide for Jenny and their family in his desire to achieve and to not lose his job and triggered by those past memories of being a kiddo, he pulled more into the avoidance where it didn't feel safe to share all of a sudden. He had a separateness about him that he put in place because He just felt an overwhelming need to achieve and prove it. And and so what happened between these two is they had to encounter something new. Because of the circumstance they were going to, although still secure, Carlos floated a bit more into having some higher avoidance tendencies during that time. And Jenny floated a bit more into having some higher anxiety tendencies in that time, although typically still more within the secure realm. But this also caused a lot of distress because they'd never gone through anything like this before. They weren't aware of some of these differences. In fact, both of them had assumed they were quite the same. So Jenny just didn't understand why Carlos didn't want to come to talk to her at the end of the day, why he would prefer to go and basically work all night till he had a headache or, or why when the, he had a moment off, he was choosing to play video games or watch a show or get stuck in YouTube or the scroll hole rather than coming and snuggling on the couch with her, which is what they did before. And Carlos didn't understand why he couldn't just leave her alone, why he didn't have the same freedom and flexibility that he seemed to have before. They both ended up feeling, you know, kind of unloved, which was a really new feeling for them in their six year relationship. So what I had to do was I pulled up on my share screen in our session as I pulled up attachment styles, which was something we had never talked about. They had never talked about. And I helped them to see and understand that they did love each other more than anything. They were both the other person's most important thing in their whole wide worlds. But because of what they were going through, some of their you know, more natural tendencies of where they naturally gravitate, pulled them to different ends of the attachment spectrums. Now, Carlos's behavior to pull away wasn't because he didn't love her. It's just that in his distress, in his heightened level of activation, it was just more challenging for him to be there in the relationship. 
And for her, when she, when her attachment system was activated, she got anxious. And so we broke this apart and we helped them to understand what was going on with them both. And this provided them both a lot of relief to understand the other person loved them, respected them, that their needs weren't being met. And so they were behaving this way, but it didn't mean they weren't cared about. Now, when our attachment systems are activated, we start communicating in really predictable ways. And this episode is called How Attachment Styles Affect Communication. And we're going to now talk about what typical behaviors are when our attachment styles are activated. So when people's anxious attachment system is activated, so these are people that can become highly anxious, you know, they want that closeness, they have fears about their needs not being met, they engage in what we call protest behaviors. And basically what a protest behavior is, is they're protesting the distance, the separation, the emotional needs not being met. And what they are really trying to do is reestablish the closeness. So what they do in protest behavior are things like this. So for example, it could be aggressive body language, aggressive behavior, it could be insults or criticism. In its worst moments, it might be threatening to end or leave the relationship. Basically, it is attempts to establish connection in an excessive and at times unhelpful way. It could even be things like manipulation or trying to make your partner feel jealous so that they come back to you. These behaviors, their goal is actually to connect, but they end up getting in the way of what that person actually wants. Because when you threaten to leave the relationship, when you threaten that it's over, what do you think your partner is going to do? They're going to be hurt. They might plead to stay, which is usually what that person hopes for, but they might be like, fine. They might disengage. They might yell back. So sometimes protest behaviors work, but sometimes it perpetuates the vicious cycle of more disengagement. Now, what happens in the more avoidant-esque style is they're trying to calm down, re-regulate. They're trying to feel okay and regain their sense of autonomy. And they have that strong pull towards the avoidance and getting back their freedom. So what they end up doing to feel okay again is the opposite of what the anxious person will do. They're trying to get back, yeah, that sense of freedom. They're trying to get away from the connection. So for example, things they will do is mentally disengage when their partner is talking. They might stop being honest or stop being transparent in a way to keep their freedom, their independence, their separateness from their partner. They might start to focus on what is wrong in the relationship, not what is right, so they can you know, mentally have a reason to stay away from the connection, or they may not say, I love you or share words of care when really they do love their partner. And what we saw between Jenny and Carlos was Jenny did use a number of ways to reestablish connection at times, critical or yelling. And her behaviors ended up doing exactly what she didn't want, push him away, push him away further and further and further. And what Carlos ended up doing was his main strategy was just not being transparent and disengaging because he was just too overwhelmed. What we got them back to through through therapy is actually what they did naturally, what they did intuitively, what what they were doing before. We just did it with some therapeutic interventions and gave it a little structure. So we brought them back to their secure style. So what is secure communication? What does that actually look like? So this is making fair requests for connection. Hey, babe, I want to chat. Maybe it's curling up on their lap. It's saying, are you free to talk about this now or how's later? When they were actually talking, focusing on being responsive and engaged, even if you don't like the content of what your partner is saying. 
both of them taking time to thoughtfully express their thoughts and feelings honestly without being mean, so without the criticism. And focusing in and talking about some of the difficulties without criticism, defensiveness, contempt, or disengagement. So to help them get to a place where they were more solid, we had to set some things in place. We had to get Carlos some boundaries around work, which took a number of sessions, to be honest. He had such a strong pull and desire to be that wonderful provider. It was really hard for him to think about failing or what might happen if he actually slept or what was on the line. So it took us a couple months to get him to the place where his nervous system was back online because he was sleeping appropriately and putting some boundaries around work. Jenny had to work on offering some support to him as well in the way that he needed. So she was so frustrated because her needs weren't met, but she had to think about offering empathy like, I know you're stressed and overwhelmed at night. Okay, sweetheart, I know you're going to stay up another hour and giving him a kiss, even though she was so frustrated. This helped him feel a bit more cared about. Because they were so overwhelmed, we put a few things in their calendars to help them get some semblance of structure back. These are the things they actually did naturally before their challenges, but we gave them some light structure, which we knew that they were going to get rid of the structure after things got better. But they needed a little structure at this time to help them get their relationship back on track. And here were some of the structured goals we put in place for their relationship. So the first thing we did is we went through my guide, the emotional intimacy cheat sheet. Now it has conversation topics, a speaker listener design, where there's 36 questions where you're designed to ask each other to deepen your emotional intimacy, to foster connection, and just continue to know each other and understand each other's inner worlds. So you don't ask all 36 questions at the same time, but there are 36 questions to help guide your conversations. We had used this exact tool in many of our therapy sessions to foster deeper connection and conversation and around just things going on in their lives. And we brought this back. We brought this back to the relationship to use in a structured way. They would carve out 10 to 30 minutes, average 20 minutes a day, five days a week during their work days to make sure they connected. So Carlos, what he would do, even though he was working late, is he set a time at nine o'clock PM to make sure he was off his computer to chat with her. And then he'd have some dinner. He'd go back to working and she would go to bed. In this time, they would connect update each other on each other's inner worlds. And they would use that emotional intimacy cheat sheet as their guide because Carlos felt like he didn't have the emotional bandwidth to connect and ask her questions without it. He needed it to be super structured. And they did that for about four months until it just started happening naturally again. A couple of the other things they planned in to make their relationship a priority was a non-negotiable date night during the pandemic. I know it is hard. I just did a poll on my Instagram and I asked some questions. What is the thing you've struggled most with during the pandemic? And the most frequent answer was date nights, not having date nights anymore. And I know it is so hard. And if you live where like we live, we're in our going on our six week of state of emergency in our third state of emergency, we're locked down. There's nothing to do. It is so hard to date your spouse. I get it. I get it. And so this is where we need to be creative. And so they had some creativity. They would do things like go on Airbnb and find virtual adventures to go on. They did an Italian virtual adventure. They did a winemaking tasting thing from somewhere else that wasn't Airbnb. I don't remember what it was, but it sent them a bunch of wines to taste. They would order cocktail kits from local places around. They built forts in their dining room. They made sure they bought a fireplace and sat outside on their deck to watch it. They made an intention 
to have date nights. And what they agreed upon during this time is Carlos wasn't in charge of date nights. Jenny was. He just had to show up. Eventually, that changed over the course of his time when he had a bit more brain space. And what he did end up doing was eventually start planning them. But initially, he just had to be there and she took care of it. They planned to have Wednesday's lunch sex because Jenny hated night sex because she was tired and Carlos didn't have meetings um, anytime from 11 till 1 on Wednesday. So they planned in their sex for a while, which felt unnatural and weird because until that point, they'd had a pretty free, spontaneous sex life, but it just wasn't going to work and they knew it. They decided they would rather have that interaction start out a bit more stilted or weird or less fun but they knew once they got into it, it was great for them. So they just scheduled in Wednesday, Wednesday sex. So those were the things that really, really, really got their relationship flowing again. It didn't feel great. It didn't always feel organic or natural or genuine. But over time, the more they engaged in these behaviors that they did when it was great, the more their relationship got great again. The more Carlos felt supported at work, the more Jenny felt like his wife again, she felt loved. And the more those attachment needs, those core needs were met, the less they engaged, the less Carlos engaged in what his deactivating behaviors and his disengagement, and the less Jenny engaged in her protest behaviors, trying to restore connection. Because they put these little touch points in place to make sure they were connected They stopped doing the other stuff and they got their flow back. They got those natural feelings back. It felt easy. It felt free. It felt graceful. It did not happen overnight. It took about four to six months of these practiced rituals before it was just easy and free flowing. And it really does align with how long it took Carlos to feel comfortable at his job again. After we start a new job, a lot of the time it takes three to six months to transition and get back to feeling confident and comfortable again. So during that time of increased distress in their relationship from an outside factor, they had to work together so it didn't cause their relationship to implode. And they did such a great job. So you've heard me talk about the emotional intimacy cheat sheet probably before and again now. But if you want this emotional intimacy cheat sheet to use just like Carlos and Ginny did, be sure to head over to www.emberrelationshippsychology.com forward slash free guides and you'll see it there. Um, or else just click on the link in these show notes. So that is one way that you too could structure some deeper connection and conversation with your partner. It's just using some question prompts, some conversation topics to figure out how do you get connected and how do you open up to each other to create more of a safe and secure relationship. All right, everyone, I hope you are having a wonderful week. I hope your world is opening up. You're enjoying some freedom, some fresh air, some sunshine. And I will talk to you all so soon. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.